Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Natural Born Hunter podcast. And tonight, we're going to start out with this. Phil, what is better than getting 10% off on your Mountain Ops purchase? Getting 11% off your Mountain Ops purchase? That's true. And what's better than that? Well, we can walk this all the way up, but let's just go ahead and jump right up to 20% off, Will. Yes, let's not annoy our listeners by going <laughs> increment by increment till he gets 20%. <laughs> if you want 20% off your next purchase from Mountain Ops, go to GetMountainOps.com, enter the coupon code NBH20 at checkout, and boom, you get 20% off. I encourage you to do so. I love my Mountain Ops. Hell yeah, they've got great proteins, pre-workouts, they got little... BCA pills that I love, multivitamins. I mean, if you want to get jacked, just take a little Yeti, and you will be well on your way. That's it, man. And you can't beat the new flavor of the Yeti. So check it out, everybody. Once again, NBH20 at checkout. Also, uh, we are able to provide to you a pretty sweet gift code from Maven Optics which is NBH gift. If you enter that at your checkout, they will send you some free Maven swag with your purchase. I mean, these are probably one of the hottest binoculars out there today. They're fully customizable, you know, when it comes to camo patterns, colors, and not only that, they're great glass. I'm going to have Phil tell you a little bit more about that because he had a really nice expensive pair of binoculars and he sold them and got himself yeah, some no, Mavens. I Absolutely, man. I mean, when you when you look at us as hunters, we want the best bang for our buck, right? And not everybody has fifteen hundred or two grand or twenty five hundred dollars to spend on a pair of optics. So why not get as close to the good the quality of what those two thousand dollar pair of binoculars are for half the price? You know, I mean, Mavens put a excellent product together. They've eliminated the middleman and brought you the hunter, you know, the best product they can put together and kept it in a reasonable price. So, you know, if you don't believe us, you know, they're out here, they're finishing first or second in, in all kinds of awards when they're putting their binoculars out there for an independent review. They just took second in a recent review on their spotting scope. And that's, there was over 30 entries into that review. Uh, all the big boys were in there too, ladies and gentlemen, and Maven, yes, on their new spotting scope, took second place in there. I mean, if that doesn't tell you, you know, that they're, they're putting out top-notch quality products, you know, I don't know what it is. Listen to me. It's money. Listen to Will. You know, they're giving us, they're giving us and our listeners the opportunity to, you know, look, if you're watching, check out this sweet hat I got on. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a sweet hat right there I got with my binos, right? So check it out, man. They're going to kick you a free gift. I encourage you to support the companies that are really keeping the hunter in mind. That's right. So it's for Mountain Ops, NBH20 for 20% off your purchase at checkout. And for Maven, it's NBH gift at checkout. Try them out. Yeah, mavenbuilt.com. Yeah, maven That's right. That's right. So get on over there and try them out. And now go on and enjoy the show. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Natural Born Hunter podcast. I'm your host, Will Bradley. And if you have not seen the film Beyond the Roared, from Rock House Motion, I'm going to warn you, stop this podcast, take the second to scroll down into the notes below, click the link on over to it, and watch it. 
Otherwise, you are going to hear a shit ton of spoilers, and it will ruin the film for you. So pause it, click link, watch, come back, please listen, like, and subscribe to the podcast. We would really appreciate it. And so tonight, I've got a guest co-host, because my man Phil couldn't make it, returning to the show, Santino Castellanos. Welcome back, brother. How's it going, guys? Happy to be on. And Santino, I know you're really stoked about this because before I sent the film over for Phil to watch, you sent it over from him to for him to watch. And that is tonight's guest, Aaron Hitchens, the man behind Beyond the Roar. Welcome to the show, Aaron. I'm just a part of the team behind the Beyond the Roar, but I'm uh, I'm happy to be here, nevertheless. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a winning team from what I've seen. We do our best, and uh, and we have a lot of fun doing it for sure. We're pretty lucky. So let's get right into this. Where did the idea from Beyond the Roar come from? Um, it came from a number of places. Unfortunately, uh, my friend Will, who you'll meet in the film, and I had a, a close mutual friend pass away, and I guess we're young enough, and uh, that and he was a close enough friend that it hit us pretty hard. And uh, we, Andrew, uh, my friend who passed away, Andrew Bros, he had lived his life very much to the fullest. And we had a very similar um, trajectory in life. He was, oh, he, I, when we grew up, he was the big cinema guy and I was the hunter. He had started hunting with the rock house experience. I'd sort of dove into the cinema side of things. And we really intersected our passions and spent a lot of time together. And along the way, we've made a bunch of plans for places we're going to turkey hunt and stuff we're going to film. And the reality of, of life, like it has happens to everyone, is, is stuff would get in the way and it wouldn't happen. And when Andrew died, it sort of left us um, just obviously devastated, but beyond that, really reminded of the. Uh, importance of taking the advantage of opportunities when you have them and not waiting for tomorrow because tomorrow is not a promised thing. And so with that in mind, Will and I, uh, Will being a Yukon resident and Hunter hosting me, decided to make our, what was going to, you know, hopefully be a buddy hunt. We wanted to take that and make it the, the biggest adventure we could and, and make it something that for us, at least to this point in our lives, is, is completely unparalleled in scope and scale. As far as scope, in scale go of the of the project how many working pieces went into this you know how many people were on the crew how much equipment did you have to take with you on this whole trip so basically there were four of us that went on the trip there's myself and will who are on camera matt white uh, who basically shot the whole thing he did an incredible job and terry milne who helped shoot a little bit but he's a yeah an expert and super respected raft and river guide from that also lives up in the Yukon and he took care of the raft that we floated with. So we had a raft and a canoe. He took care of the raft and that had carried all the equipment and, you know, was really, really super helpful around camp. And then at that same time, Colin McMillan, uh, another one of our rock house team, he actually flew up and shot time-lapse stuff while we were there. He wasn't on the trip, but he was in the same area shooting time-lapse uh, that we worked into the film. And, and the, the gear question is pretty ridiculous. We had a Red Dragon, a Sony A7R2, a uh, Canon 1DX, full suite of lenses, 
We, we had to fly with a laptop because we were backing everything up, float with hard drives. We actually had a generator to charge batteries. Colin had his, uh, his Kessler time-lapse set up. He had two Nikons running. And so it was, it was pretty much the full money and a DJI Inspire uh, drone as well. Man, is there anything you didn't take with you? Oh <laughs> uh, man, yeah, it certainly didn't feel like it. I, you know, I got pretty focused, admittedly, on the, on the hunting and, and angling and, and sort of pulling the adventure together side of things. And I'll give full credit to Matt for keeping everything straight. And and we broke most of it uh, to some extent, but uh, it, it was well worth it in the end. Yeah, it's pretty crazy because even even the credits and the end scenes to your film are really interesting and fun to watch. Yeah, we're actually, uh, with Outdoor Life, going to roll out eight short pieces of content uh, around the film. So part, some of it will be scenes that you'd see in the film that are broken down and rolled out for social. And then some of it's going to be a, a bit more of a behind-the-scenes look about what went into getting everything ready. And uh, just to give a little bit more idea around of, of what went into it. But yeah, we, we wanted to, at the end, you know, we told the story, but we weren't in any way trying to position it as something that's different than what happened. And we showed the raft in the credits. It was really important to me to show the meat processing in the credits as well, because there's always going to be the, the people asking about, you know, well, why do you just have the antlers? You know, we got all the meat out. We wanted to show our girlfriends because all hell descended upon them as we prepared for this. And, and when we got back with all of our wet and broken and smelly gear and, uh, and we threw a big party at the end and, and sort of the vibe from that party and the celebration of not just the trip, but uh, of Andrew's life and, and, you know, just being alive that the vibe from that night was really reflective on how we wanted people to feel at the end of the film. So we included that a lot in the credit sequence as well. What were your thoughts on the film Santino? Well, you know, I, it's fun. ironically, I talked with Aaron Ayers and I've started developing a, you know, good friendship over the last few years and being an industry guy, I, I always joke that he's one of my man crush guys when it comes to production because, uh, they're just at the top of their game. Like, I, I don't know, you know, as far as like it, I don't even know if I can compare anybody to the quality of work that they put into it. And I'm not, there's a lot of guys that put good quality workout, but we you know, we all have our challenges in production. I, I know it really well. It all always comes down to budget. But when I watched that film, I was telling Aaron, like it was just one of those things that I, I couldn't even watch it with like a, I don't know, like a critic, like a critic's eye. I was just so into the film. It just, you know, grabbed me. Even just one of my favorite parts were, um, you know, just even when he drew back on the moose, and you have to tell me, Aaron, what was the name of the uh, the uh, whitewater gear that you guys had? Was it NRS? Yeah, it's NRS. Yeah, so like, see, you know, seeing those suits and like what they had to go through, like these guys thought this trip out. They knew that they were going to be facing some some potential crazy whitewater, even putting their life in jeopardy. And you know, looking at it, Aaron Aaron had mentioned, had they not had those suits, that was. That could have been it, and it's just one of those deals for them to put it all out there in the film, but even in what they went through physically while they were there, uh, I, I was just absolutely blown away. I told Aaron that you know him and his staff they need to take a bow because I was just you know completely captivated by the film from the opening to the very end. So that's a long-winded answer as far as what I thought about it, but 
for me to, you know, I don't know what my opinion matters other than I just know what these guys go through to raise funds to do it right um, because I, I raise advertisement for shows and to see that they did it and then probably the best part was when I saw the post go on to tune in to watch, uh, you know, the short film Beyond the Roar, it was free. And I was like, are you freaking – and it was on demand. I was just like, man, I – I just wanted to give him a big old hug. Like if you got, if anyone did it right, you guys did it right with this film from everything from the conception to, you know, the story behind it, captivating, just a really good cinematic quality, you know, short film. But then in addition to that, you guys also sent a great message by putting it out there for anybody to watch. Like if, I, I was telling Aaron, I'll probably watch that at least once a week before hunting season starts, and I won't have access to it anymore. But if I can download it, I might try to do that. It just, it just made me want to get out in the in the backcountry even that much more. Oh, thank you. That's that's extremely complimentary. Yeah, man, absolutely. Not everyone gets to be Santino's man crush. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, so he he established that a few years ago at Shot Show, and I was like, man, this guy's right on. He's a salt of the earth guy. So, do you? How would you describe you as a hunter, Aaron? Because you're certainly not like the average guy. I wouldn't even put you in the same class as like the average guy who makes like content, whether it's a film, podcast, media. You know, you're taking everything to that next level. How do you see yourself? That's actually a really, uh, a really compelling question. I think at the very core of it, uh, I'm a very experiential hunter. So I love, I, I really look at the big picture and, and all of the aspects of it and, and enjoy that completely. But I really love interacting with animals. Like I love the calling side of things. I'm not hugely motivated by trophy quality or the size of the animal, but I, you know, like anyone, I'd be lying if I said it didn't matter. Um, I just like getting close. I like intensity. You know, I'd rather, I'd rather, but at the same time, I'd rather be 40 yards from a buck that's grunting and chasing a doe than 10 yards from one that's feeding on a corn pile. Um, I, I guess that's, that's how I would describe it. I'm very, very much about the experience and the nuances of that. And uh, I, I, know what really motivates me and what really you know drives me and gets me excited and <laughs> lucky enough for me it kind of all came together in the moose kill in the film i'm gonna back up a little bit let's start from the beginning of the film and what i want to talk about is a lot of people have heard the saying what happens to a dream deferred you know does it dry up like a raisin in the sun right this is one of those things you guys talk about openly of you kept having these grandiose ideas or plans and they never kept coming through. So with the death of your friend, what, what really made it like click of, we got to do this. This is, this is what we have to do. Man, it didn't take much for it to click. I mean, I got a phone call from my dad that told me that it had happened and the accident had happened. And I got on the phone with Will immediately. Like, and, and, you know, as long as I could, as quickly as I could stop crying from the phone call with that, I got on the phone and called Will and started crying again. It's pretty much on. I mean, at that point, you know, it's, it, it wasn't one of those things that took a great deal of interpretation. It just was plain as day to me. And, and uh, I guess 
through the film I wanted to, you know, and, and in turning it into a film project, what I wanted to do is create some of that urgency that I felt that day and throughout the making of this film without having the tragedy, you know, sort of be the forebear of that. I, I Just a, a reminder of people that the opportunities are limited and when you have them, do what you can to take them because there's no way, no matter whatever happens in my life, that I will regret having gone and, and done that with Will. Well, you said it, you said it really good, Aaron, earlier that that's one of the things that I always tell people, man, like you got to live with passion and tomorrow's never promised. So, you know, I really, you know, just even that response on how you guys jumped on it and then just started to sketch out, okay, this is what, you know, we want to do and then executing that. And then now you have your, you know, finished project, but it's something that, you know, be with you and, you know, his family and everyone for, you know, for the world to see. So that's pretty, you know, hats off to you there. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the reality of our situation is that, you know, obviously, Obviously, at Winning Street, we do advertising work for a lot of these brands. I had some existing partnerships. And, and what this adventure ended up being maybe isn't accessible to everyone. And the specifics of this adventure are very unique. But the point is not about going to the Yukon and taking a canoe and hunting moose. The story is about taking a friend and doing something that you want to do, no matter how big or small, and realizing that you know, we can't always just do whatever we want to do or else we won't make the progress needed in life. But if there's something that's truly transcendent like that, take the opportunity and do it because uh, so many people live in regret and, and that's not something, especially after Angel's passing, that we were willing to do when it came to this. All right, I got to know. This was your first moose hunt, right? Yeah. And this was Will's first big game hunt. Ever. He'd shot... Uh, I've taken him his first time hunting, and he shot a, a goose. I think he's shot a couple of ducks since then, and, and I've, I've got him on two or three turkey hunts, and he's killed a couple of turkeys on his own. But other than probably a goose, three ducks, and, and four or five turkeys, that was all the hunting he'd ever done. So other than a goose, three unlucky turkeys, he, he really hadn't got out there much. How the hell did you guys find these moose? Well, we were lucky to, you know, the, the big thing with the canoeing and, and the whitewater right is what the whitewater did is it got us away from other people because no one else wanted to go through it and uh what that basically meant is there were stretches of river that you know we needed to that if you were going to hunt it you were only able to uh you only have access it if you ran out through the whitewater there wasn't like a you know or if you pack for a million miles but we were in really premium area and you know i think that when you ask about the type of hunter I am, um, I love to do it and I do a lot of it and I love learning. I'm very curious. I pay attention. And from what I'd sort of gleaned from reading and whatever research you ever do before a trip, as well as just the instincts that you develop turkey hunting and deer hunting and just sort of mixing it all together. You know, you understand how they vocalize, understand the, the behavior and the way that animals rut, um, be flexible and, you know, play the wind obviously. And, I've never moose hunted, but somehow you guys made your hunt so relatable to me. Like, I could really feel what you guys were feeling. It felt like I was experiencing it a little bit for myself, you know, and taking parts of it with me. And what was the emotions like when Will first got his and then you got yours? I honestly can't. I mean, with Will's, 
I was kind of in more of a, not necessarily a guide role, but I was, you know, I wasn't shooting. So I was able to sort of take a step back mentally and, uh, it was just incredible. I mean, you know, having said what I just said about having hunting instincts and whatever, you don't expect that's actually going to work. And when you, you know, were grunting at this bull and challenging him, cause he, we see that the, we saw a cow knew that there was a cow in the area. So we figured, okay, well, if there's a cow, there should probably be a bull around cause it's peak rut started grunting. And when that blade, you know, that antler just popped out of the woods and he started going nuts, destroying everything, just the magnitude of that animal. And, and the, uh, the magnitude of the experience was just overwhelming. And for Will to make a freehand 100-yard shot and just post him like that, you know, never having shot a rifle at an animal before, was just yeah. ridiculous. So seeing the raw adrenaline in, in Will, who's a wildly stoic guy, I mean, if you would meet him, you'd never think he's the guy that's going to shake his leg clean off in a in a filmed moose hunt. But, yeah, he was just shaking to his absolute core and, and overwhelmed. It was, it was really, really cool. Kind of going – Going into that, I remember uh, just the first time my buddy and I were elk hunting here in Colorado. And he he thought that there was a bull, heard some movement, and he set up. And when he called, you know, this bull responded. Just one of those ones that one of those bugles that goes right through your soul. And one of the biggest things was when you're when he was shaking. I I can't tell you, man. Will, Will shaking out. It was one of those things that I did the same thing, and that was kind of what Will's talking about right now on the podcast. Is just he felt like he could relate to that moose hunt with the hunts that he he was on, and it was the same for me too. Uh, just because it brought me back to a few years ago when I heard that first bull bugle and just that gut wrenching feeling that you have, and you can't control why your body starts doing what it does, but you could feel that through the film, which was awesome. Yeah, and I think that's what made it feel relatable, right? Like the tendency yeah. from outdoor film, and it's very natural, but the tendency is for very experienced and capable hunters to be going and and doing hunts they've done before and they're very good at. It. And the nature of that is simply that it's not as immense of an experience as much as we all love it and will continue to love it. And I could go and hunt moose every fall for the rest of my life, and it would still be my favorite part of the year. We get more accustomed to it and we learn how to deal with the adrenaline rush. Whereas, I mean, for Will, that's his first time, right? That brings, that's, there's absolutely no pretense there. That's just a guy shooting his first moves, his first big game animal in that rush with it. And, and the same applied for me. I mean, I, I archery hunt, but I'm not wildly experienced at it. I haven't had a ton of success with it. And the proximity of that animal, you know, especially for Will, Will, Will didn't think that the bow was actually going to kill it. Like when, we found the arrow. He was shocked that it actually went through, you know, like it, that was incomprehensible to him. And so um, all of that sort of, dis it, was, it wasn't so much the experience alone it was, as it was the discovery as we sort of both found ourselves in an experience we'd never enjoyed before and just really truly discovered how that felt. And, the, and our reaction was very genuine. And, uh, and I think that's why it's shown through, and I'm really glad it did. It's interesting you mentioned that about the whole bow scene, because I keep remember thinking as I'm watching this, man, he's got a lot of brush to shoot through. <laughs> you know, I was nervous for you, man, because I know in, like, the previews and everything, I saw, you know, one set of moose antlers, but I didn't see two. So there was part of me thinking, 
oh shit, does Aaron not make this shot? <laughs> yeah, don't worry. That was something I was thinking as well. <laughs> and I'm glad that uh, that in the previews you didn't see you never didn't see both sets of antlers. That's uh, that's a good read, and that was very intentional in how we crafted those. But yeah, I mean, I basically had a softball sized lane, and you can't tell from the film because it's so slow motion, but I was at full draw. I drew way too early because I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I ended up holding full draw for like two minutes. So I'm just jackhammering, shaking like a leaf. You know, you're playing the mind games with yourself. Like, oh, I'll just let down. He won't notice. It's just like, hold on, hold on. And so I was doing everything I could to, to keep the bullet full draw. And this is right after paddling too. So I'm completely exhausted from that rapid right beforehand. And uh, just the mental battle to stay at full draw and keep my eye on the lane and basically wait for him to swing into it. And it was a really, really, really tight lane, but I uh, I got lucky. And, you know, I hit it a little bit further back than I would have liked, uh, especially on camera, but it got both lungs and it only went like 70 yards. So, yeah. Yeah. Very, lucky. very happy. You guys were probably just catching your breath from getting off that white water too, right? Because that's, you guys went through that one shoot and all of a sudden noticed the moose. Is that how that pretty much played out? Yeah, essentially we, that morning we planned to hunt really hard all day. And then as soon as we got going, we found these rapids that weren't marked on the map. So I was, you know, at, at this point we're, we're pretty keen. We're looking for moose and to have to suit up and, and I really didn't think we were going to make those. We made, there's actually two shoots there, but we made both of them. And uh, I really didn't think we would. So there's a huge amount of exhaustion that came from kind of the nervous energy around that. And then to get through those as physically demanding as they were and as cold as we were from being soaked by the water, you know, basically we're just at this point looking for somewhere to camp and ourselves to sort of, defer the defer the hunting until tomorrow and and i just saw an ear flick on a cow on shore and um, we'd initially planned to go past them and and hopefully work back up the shoreline and call them in but uh you know they ended up spotting us and and heading off into the bush and so we challenged them again and and they can you know the bull came in so close you know under 10 yards and came in looking to fight so it was it was completely terrifying (laughs) It it's it it seemed terrifying, man. Because a little there's a part of me that's like, dude, they are so close to this animal that's the size of a large truck. That if he charges, they're just standing there with you know a pointy stick aimed at him. Yeah, Will had his 300 Weatherby, and he was all I could hear the whole time was the like the moose. Every time its tongue would hit its nose, it was so still. It just sounded like a big slap. And he's grunting at us, and and you can hear him breathing. You know, nobody else. You can't hear any of the other guys breathing. So you can hear the moose, moose breathing. And then all you can hear is Will's safety flicking it on. And I'm like, Will, just don't shoot this thing. And, like, he, you know, like, <laughs> and then he'd flick it back on. You know, he'd get brave, and then it would, like, posture up again. And he, Because he was just thinking purely in self-defense. Because if it were to charge and, and I got narrow into it, you know, he wanted to make sure that we didn't end up getting bowled over. Did uh, I noticed that when you shot it, I was like, "Oh man, that's a little far back." I hope I hope he goes down. And it's like when when I saw how close he was, the first thing I thought was double lunged him. Must have double lunged him. That's the only way. That that has to be nerve wracking though, knowing you're on camera. This could be a once in a lifetime experience. All this is built up to this moment. How on edge were you? I mean, as as on edge as a person can be, probably. I mean, I was. 
I was physically exhausted, mentally exhausted from the rapid. And, you know, my big thing was don't hit the shoulder. Don't try and be brave and take a front on shot. Cause I'm not going to get penetration. You know, it's a long way to get back. So as long as I'm behind the shoulder, I'm good. They're a big animal. It's a big target. And I did, I honestly didn't have a ton of options, right? I just had that lane and, uh, I shot the lane and, and, you know, thankfully it steered me within the inside of the kill zone. There's a three scenes in particular that stand out to me in this film. And what's really unique about your film is none of them are necessarily the kill shots or shots with the animal. And the scenes are Will's shaking leg, the canoe scene where you guys tip over in the rapid and shooting of the shotgun shell at the end. And I think that really speaks to the quality of this film that although there is hunting in this film, it really translates as a great adventure film between friends and speaks to that strong, strong bond you guys all have. Yeah, I mean, the big goal for us coming into this, and I guess especially coming out of it, is, you know, hunting is what we're doing. But fundamentally, this is a story about friendship and adventure and, you know, finding the risks worth taking. And I've been completely overwhelmed by the response, not not just of hunters, but especially by non-hunters who have never watched hunting content, never hunted. And that's really, you know been in line with your feedback there and it's a the highlights are very varied because they you know people that haven't hunted really really respond well to this and that's that's a really high compliment because well obviously i want to entertain and uh, engage the people that do it i think that as always it's a tradition that is unfortunately dwindling and uh you know as much as we need to dig heels in to defend our rights and spend the money and energy on conservation. What we really need to do is make people interested in doing it and sympathetic to it. And I think this film succeeds at that. And that's one of the things that I'm most proud of. Santino, did you cry yes. during this film? I got choked up, man. I, one of the things that I was going to ask Aaron is, um, as I've been just thinking about being able to ask him questions for the natural born hunter podcast, I just, uh, you know, I'm I'm a spiritual person. I I have a lot of faith, um, and with your, you know, one of your best friends passing away, and you and Will going out and doing this film and saying, you know, we're going to go out there and he's going to be with us. I did want to ask. There were a few, to uh, Will Bradley's point. There were some things that uh, you had mentioned were when you guys went down the river and tipped over. And there was just a couple, or even when that moose was at 10 yards and, you know, Will's freaking out thinking that you guys might get charged and things could just go south really quick. Did you feel, you know, did you feel anything, did you, like, with potential, I don't want to say presence or just, you know, like a kind of a spiritual feeling while it was there or, you know, when you guys were going through some of those moments or, you know, how would you say throughout the trip that, you, you know, you guys felt your friend with you when you guys were out there? That's a great question, and it's actually a pretty wild story around that because Terry, who was with us, unfortunately has lost uh, his father, and he first noticed this. But when we, when Will first shot his moose, um, a raven came to the kill site, and that raven was missing 
one feather, I think, on its left wing. But it was a distinctive and, like, recognizable bird because it had a very prominent feather missing. And in the, you know, Native American tradition up in that part of the world, the raven is kind of the, the protector. It's like the... I'm not entirely familiar with it, but it's it's sort of the animal that hunters traditionally look to for guidance. And that raven was with us for the entire rest of the trip. And the only single time that uh, it made a sound was after I'd shot my second moose, or I shot the second moose, we got to the kill site, and I had that shotgun shell with Andrew's ashes in my hand. When I pulled the ashes out, I sort of set them on the antler, and that raven just swooped down out of nowhere and just screamed. You know, it was just it caught at us, and uh, and that was absolutely bone chilling. So uh, yeah, I guess with that bird manifesting it, uh, we absolutely felt the the presence of our friend, and we we're lucky to, you know, and very very thankful to have that uh, accompaniment along the way. Yeah, well, it's definitely a, an emotional film too, just from the ups and downs. That you, the close encounters with animals, but you know, even coming out of the water, how would, I, I know both you guys have experience of being in water and you know, you surf, so you're not, you're not a stranger to any of those kind of things. But when you guys went over and that your canoe, I shouldn't say raft when your canoe tipped over, what was going through your mind? Other get than to shore. Oh, crap, get to shore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it was one of those deals where we'd scatter the rapid and we knew that that rock was something we had to miss and we didn't miss it. So, uh, you know, we'd done a really good job strapping the the contents of the canoe in. And that's one thing that people seem really, you know, curious about is how people, you know, what happened to all the contents. Well, we, they all, everything stayed. We managed, we really managed to lash that down with our NRS straps. But uh, yeah, what was going through my head was just, how it was like trying to stop a train like with the both antlers on that canoe both sets of antlers and all the contents as heavy as it was you know will and i are both relatively strong swimmers and we really 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 struggled to move that at first i was like oh this is going to be fine as we swam in with the you know with the throw bag with that rope slack and then as soon as we got tension with the canoe i just realized how how huge of a struggle it was going to be because we really were not making very much headway. And I actually ended up getting my, the rope was wrapped around my hand and again around the canoe paddle. So I had the paddle. If you look at the footage, it was like tied into my hand and I couldn't get the paddle out. So it made it even harder to swim because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't use my second hand to swim so well. So, and I was tied. I was like being dragged wherever the canoe went. So it wasn't one of those things where we could just like go and call it quits. I was, I was along for the ride. So yeah, <laughs> It was uh, it was pretty heavy. It was it was, a, it was a lot of fun in one way, and it was absolutely terrifying in another. Yeah, I couldn't imagine. But the the drone shot that I'm thinking about when you guys were swimming, it it just looked like you guys had your stuff together. You knew exactly what to do, even though maybe you know at the at the river level, I, I don't know. You guys were hooping and hollering or or whatnot, just kind of, you know, in that panic mode. But, you know, from the footage, it looked like you guys were able to maintain being calm and, like, you guys were swimming parallel with each other. You both had the tow rope, and you were able to get out of it. But that was another thing when you went over again, because I know you. Uh, yeah, I was like, oh, man, I just, you know, I was feeling for you there. And then also when you just just through the whole film, man, it was pretty uh, touching in a lot of ways. Thank you. I thought you guys were so screwed. I didn't think you were recovering anything from that canoe. 
I thought I saw you go over, and I thought, well, there goes, there it all goes, and it it, it had to have taken a ton of strength to get that baby over. Because I've done, I remember going to camp, and they have you, uh, you know, flip the canoe, get it back, try to get it back drained with water, and that's incredibly tough, man. Yeah, and and it was especially with the current. It's there was you know it was it was an incredible force of momentum. But up there without your gear, you're pretty much as good as dead, right? Especially soaked and and thankfully, you know, we had the backup of of the camera gear and the rafts, so we would have been you know we would have probably lived if we'd lost the canoe. And well, we would have lived, we would have been fine, I guess. But it would have been pretty uncomfortable for sure. And and to go go that far and lose our meat mantlers would have been devastating. So we uh, yeah we. We'd, we'd talk through what to do. I mean, we sort of realized we were outgunned in the boat we were in. And uh, even though we made it through that first set of rapids, we knew that our, our what we had and how heavy everything was, we just, you know, we were in, we, we knew what we were up against. So we had a pretty good plan once things went over, went south. So did you have a talk with your cameraman, Matt, before you go into something like this that, hey, no matter what happens, just don't stop filming? No, because as, as much as Matt loves me, I know I would never have to worry about him stopping to film. <laughs> he, he was filming no matter what. He, he jokes about it now, but uh, he's like, yeah, I was sitting there flying the drone thinking, do I keep filming this best shot of my life or do I try and save yours? But no, he uh, he kept filming. And, and that's one thing that's amazing about Matt. If you watch the moose kill uh, with the bow, he was standing right next to me and the camera doesn't shake a stitch. And then as soon as I shoot, you know, and I'm there crying and being all emotional. You see the cameras just shaking like wild because Matt always finds a way to hold it together and always does what he has to do. He's the, the ultimate professional, and uh, he knew we'd be fine, I guess. And, and if we weren't, he knew it would make for an even better movie, so he held on to it. Yeah, at some point, he's <laughs> got to wonder, am I about to film a snuff film? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what was your favorite part of that trip? Oh. My favorite part of that trip was probably the day after Will shot his moose. You know, we'd already succeeded. We already, in a way, exceeded our expectations. Um, we had the meat hung and dried, and we sort of made a camp to dry out all our stuff and wash all the blood off our clothes and try not to get eaten by bears. And um, I caught grayling in the river, so we kind of figured out that there were fish there because we weren't super sure. And that night, we had a bonfire, and of course, uh, Terry, who is a raft guide, you know, we're, we're packed super light. We, we was well, as you know, it's a river trip. It's not like sheep hunting light, but we, we're very, very lean with what we packed. And all of a sudden, he busts out this little miniature guitar that he packed in. And Will and Terry are both great musicians, but Will specifically, he actually wrote the song that plays at the end uh, called Working Hands. And Will played that song at the campfire. And as soon as that song had concluded, the, the sky just burst into the craziest, most intense northern lights I'd ever, I could ever imagine. I mean, those guys live up there and they said it was the best they've ever seen. And it was just unbelievable. I mean, they were so low to the, they were like treetop height, it felt like. And it was almost like you could hear them. And so, we, with the, you know, the conclusion, the, the success leading into the bonfire, Will's song, 
and the sky just coming to life. It was just absolutely fantastic. And that was probably the, the highlight for me. And are those the same Northern lights we see in the film? Yes. Yeah. They don't do it a fraction of justice, but those are the same ones. They do look unreal though. You know, yeah. it looks man-made. Yeah. I, it, it was crazy. I mean, and that's not, that's shot. That's not like a long exposure time lapse. That's like video. We just shot it on, on you know, and we weren't thinking exactly clearly because we had a little bit of whiskey to celebrate. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Matt just like, you know, dropped the camera on the dry bag and got that unreal footage. And it's just actual video. It was like ISO 640 for the camera nerds out there. It was nothing. I mean, it was unbelievable. If you had to pick a least favorite part of the trip, was there anything that you were like, you know what, maybe next time I change this? No, I, I would say no, because um, you can't have the highlights without having the hardships. That's very much in who I am as a person and, and it's the way that I hunt. I like things feeling very earned. And, uh, you know, I'm never going to be the guy that goes out and talks about how, you know, how hard I worked and how crazy it was and how many sacrifices we made because that's all part of the fun. And I'm, you know, we were very, we were fortunate to be successful, but at the same time, the hardships along the way are what makes that best. I think, um, other than the intestinal trauma that we were, we incurred by eating a little bit too much mountain house, um, that would probably be the only thing I'd change in retrospect. Less mountain house, more grayling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I was there was <laughs> there were a couple emergency tent exits. That is for absolute <laughs> certainty. Uh, that's funny, um, Aaron. I was going to ask you. Uh, you know, with everything that you, you know, that's been going on in the buzz, it's been huge on social. Uh, how do you? Like, how do you feel like the response from like your partners, um, and then even just people that you've reached out to? Are there any, you know, of all the responses that you've gotten from people, or you know, shout outs or whatever? Are there a few that stick out? And then, what's the general response that you felt from everyone? The general response has been honestly just fantastic. I mean, I I I put an incredible amount of work in this film, as has our entire team at Rock House. Um, but once it's out and you can get as happy and confident about it as you possibly can, but until you get, like, I'm just shocked by how well received it's been and, and how many people that I would not have expected have reached out and, and mentioned it. And I guess the one that stands out the most to me that sort of is kind of closes the deal as far as having succeeded with this film is a gentleman who, uh, he actually works at Rapid in product design. Uh, in Ontario, and he moved down to South Carolina, had quit hunting and had moved back, was working with Raplin, and we sent it out to all of our sponsors for a sort of an advanced screening the day before. And he said he watched it, finished watching it, and immediately went online and signed his kids up and all of his buddies' kids up for hunter safety, called all his buddies told him that he signed them all up for hunter safety and then went home that night, had a screen viewing party and showed his family. And, oh, that's awesome, man. Uh, you know, there's a legacy in that, right? And that's, that's, that's the highlight for me is, is just knowing that, 
you know, maybe those kids would have found it and maybe that guy would have found hunting again. But, but just the fact that this is something that inspired him and, and that family and sort of that group of people to re-engage with something that they're, you know, they have history for passion with and, and to create an opportunity for that new discovery. That's a dream come true. That's awesome, man. And outdoor life seems like the perfect partnership and perfect platform to put this out on because it, it's it's always seemed like a really stoic kind of classic brand, right? And that's how I feel like this film is. Like this will be one of the films that ten years from now people are like, oh, this this is because of this film. You know, people are have been influenced. You'll hear, you know, new filmmakers, new generation of people talking about, yeah, when I saw Beyond the Roar, that's when I knew, you know, hunting was for me. That's when I knew that I wanted to go and film my hunts. Yeah, that's a huge compliment in and of itself. Uh, and, and I certainly hope that that's the case. And outdoor life's been great. I mean, it, to me, I, I love telling stories and... I think that the opportunity that we had to combine the um, written side of the story and have that be published in the magazine um, and have those people that, that develop a curiosity there be able to check out the video and the people that check out the video be able to read more in the magazine and then for Outdoor Life to have their uh, online feature with a few more photos and the opportunity to learn more and then all the sponsors sharing photos. I think what we've really been able to do is, is tell a complete story across a multitude of platforms and I really think that that's a sort of a great avenue um, to tell a complete story, which is you know what, what I guess I certainly strive to do, and, and I think a lot of, of filmmakers and storytellers certainly love. So I'm very very grateful for Outdoor Life for taking a chance because it was something that you know we brought to them, and, and it was outside of the norm, and and they agreed to do it. So I I'm really thrilled by that. Cool. So. How hard was it to convince some of these brands to back you? Were there people who, right off the bat, they got it, or did some others need some convincing? It was all across the spectrum. Um, everybody looks at successful content in different ways, and I guess what we set out to do was obviously to you know, build up a, a large volume of impressions. You know, we always want as many people to see and interact with the content as possible. But what I really try and sell is the value of impressions, um, which is kind of validated by the last comment that you had about this being a film that, that people sort of reference years from now. What I, you know, what we set out to create was something that really resonated with people. And, and that was the pitch that we gave. And so, Everybody wants a different amount of product integration, but we're very lucky with the brands that we had where, you know, we, we use the stuff, we put the stuff to work. We left for the trip with the, you know, the gear with all, you know, all gear that we would have brought anyways, really. And we put it to the test and we used it all. And, and um, again, with it being an unorthodox, sort of project, getting the, the brands involved. I'm really, really thankful for them for, for taking the chance on this and hopefully uh, 
celebrating with us now as it as it gets a little bit of, uh, of traction. And have you heard from your sponsors on their reactions of the film? On a personal level, yeah, it's it's still so fresh, but uh, it's pretty wild hearing the the responses from some of the you know creative directors internally or, or marketing people or that one that one gentleman from Rapala that I referenced. Uh, it's it's you know it's it's more as friends than as uh, friends or, or sort of business relationships as opposed to from like a overarching sort of brand review. But they they seem pretty pretty happy with it and pretty proud to be a part of it. And that's great. That's great to hear. And I haven't heard anything of the contrary. So hopefully I'm not putting my foot in my mouth. But I think they're all very happy with the way that the product integration was handled and the way that we handled the uh, you know sort of the the brand titles at the start and then again in the credits. And I think that's important because it's brands, you know, visionary brands that we have the, the pleasure of working with, not clamoring for that, like, slappy in the face product integration. You know, I'm here with my Weatherby, you know, we were just, we were just hunting and we were on our adventure and, and the products joined us and enabled us to have that experience. And I think that was enough for them. And that makes me, you know, that makes me happy that that's something that's not just good for us, but good for anyone in the creative field that's making films because they can focus more on the story without the peripheral requirement of, of, of really trying to be a pitch maker for all these products. You know, that that's, I think, one of my favorite parts about the sponsors you have is it's not in your face and it's more from the side of I because sometimes I think that can take away from a film. And if people really like you, really like what you're putting out, they're going to find out what you're using. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I mean, you, you know, it, it's all there, but I, I honestly just want to write a kind of like a, a thank you article sort of highlighting our, our keystone product from each brand because something from everyone came through so huge and, and became a major factor before it was all said and done. So, uh, I mean, there were just some products that, that really saved us. It was it was pretty cool, and I and I think you're right. I think I think that people really want to know, or people are are they're learning. You know, some people are learning about products, are, are seeing stuff that they know exists and it's being used and that's being enforced. But what at the end of the day, what we did is we took it all into the harshest of environments and it all performed. You know, people do love hearing about gear. So, what were those Keystone products from each company? It really came up huge for you. Um, let me just bring a list up, make sure. Well, obviously with Hoyt, it was the bow. Uh, it was carbon spider. I was really concerned actually with all the temperature changes and the, uh, you know, the challenges that went with that. Like every night it, we'd have a, an inch or two of frost or snow or whatever. You know, I was really worried about the bow sort of losing its, uh, losing its accuracy or, something breaking uh, and it didn't so that was great uh, same with the rifle rifle held zero the scope from loophole the the, the rifle's a ultralight um uh, mark five ultra lightweight from weatherby and it it held zero and it was underwater a ton didn't rest us rust a speck so you know you could see from the boat how much how soaked everything got and so that gun did not literally show a single bit of wear at the end of that experience is, is a huge testament to its durability. Uh, same, you know, the gun and the scope go hand in hand. 
it was a loophole DX6 2 to 12, and uh, it was really great. Uh, not knowing how long the shot would be because that 2x magnification gives you the field of view that we were really worried about a grizzly encounter and we felt secure at any range with that gun and scope combo. But the scope, again, being underwater, banged off rocks, the whole nine holding zero, it was pretty incredible. Um, with Yeti, it was the bottle. That was new at the time, but basically that bottle was, was uh, physical morale because we'd make chicken noodle soup in the morning you know, those little packets. And uh, basically when we flip our canoe or otherwise freeze our asses off, we'd bust the bottle out and everything was warm. So that was super key. When they first introduced that product, I'll admit I was a skeptic, but having warm uh, warm food and cold water now, having used it in the summer, it's a pretty incredible piece. Um, NRS, man, NRS. They saved our lives with the, the dry suits and the life jackets and the throw bag and the whole thing. But the one thing... The two things there that I think are most applicable to hunters are one, the, uh, the river wing tarp. Um, it was kind of the shelter that we use for all of our gear every night outside of the tent. It was, it's an incredible, uh, really hardy piece of gear and the straps, the NRS straps. I mean, if you look at them and you're like, this is no big deal, but once you have them, they're so, so strong and uh, reliable. It's incredible. Um, Rappala's four piece trout rods they're great because you know they break down real small for the flight in and uh and they were awesome for the grilling fishing they're, they're super handy and and all the blue fox spinners that we hammered them on um lacrosse the uh, alpha burley pros were the boots we used and they're phenomenal with the the only i just wish they were chest waders because we consistently got soakers by being idiots and not realizing how deep the water was because it was so clear uh, with Danner, the Gila's were like the lightweight uh, boots that come in Optifade. That's what I wore, uh, or that's what Will wore. I had a pair of pronghorns, but those were uh, those were great. And, and um, you know, they, when we got away from the river a little bit, they were we really appreciated those. And then with Sick, I mean, the Stormfront rain gear and the uh, Kelvin Down hoodie. You know, just the that that stuff. I mean, people are going to look at this and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, they shot the moose in a bright yellow dry suit, looking like a bunch of Power Rangers." But sick on this trip, day in day out, basically all we brought as clothing was that product, and we only really brought one system of it, um, from the base layers to the insulation, the, the Kelvin Ultra Lightweight hoodie, and especially that Stormfront stuff. The amount of precipitation that fell. And the amount of time we spent out in it to be dry and be warm in those circumstances is ridiculous. And so we owe a huge kudos to them. And I think that's the full list. Cabela's, uh, they came on actually afterwards in support. And, um, but we, we actually got a bunch of the gear at Cabela's on the way there. So, uh, and our licenses and whatever else there, uh, I mean, obviously it's Cabela's if you have, if you need it, they have it. Oh, but <laughs> pardon I said, oh, I was saying that should be Cabela's new tagline. If you need it, they have it. <laughs> it's true, man. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. So, lots of gear for sure, but it, it uh, and, that, and that was pretty long-winded. But I can I can speak to any of those specifically if you're curious. So, I, this is a two-part question. You carry around a shotgun shell through the trip. And could you tell us a little bit about that 
And then the second part would be, did you show the film to Andrew's parents? Uh, yes. So we, we just kind of, um, it was actually at Andrew's celebration of life. His parents, the, the words that he chose, they chose to describe uh, what would probably conventionally be known as a funeral, but it was a very, it was a very celebratory occasion. And on that night, um, we actually went to where Andrew shot his first turkey. It's at the top of a hill overlooking the lake. It's this beautiful family farm. And uh, we shot a number of shells with his ashes off to conclude like right at sunset on the day of his, his uh, sort of celebration of life the day of that ceremony um, and his parents had loaded, I guess, loaded those, had his ashes loaded into shotgun shells. And so we'd shot them. And then after that, Kim, his mom, who I've known my entire life, she, you know, she gave me a shell and, you know, she asked me to take it somewhere special or take it somewhere that, that Andrew would like to be and, you know, sort of carry on the celebration. And, uh, Almost then, you know, I, I sort of knew that that would end up being a part of our story. And, uh, you know, just there's there's something to, to shooting those ashes off into the river and, you know, kind of the, the never-ending movement of that river and, and sort of the all the places that were, you know, flowing out of the... Yeah, there's, there's something very spiritual in that for me. And uh, I unfortunately wasn't there when... Um, their parents saw it for the first time. I sent it home and my dad and sister watched it with Andrew's parents. And they, as you, uh, as you'd imagine, were very emotional, but uh, I think that they really appreciated the tribute. And I, I only just found this out yesterday, actually, my sister told me, but the film or the, the scene with the song, uh, Jack Knives and Matches, it's kind of a, a bluegrassy song. It was actually written by a couple of my high school teachers and guys that I hunted with growing up. Um, the North Algona All Stars is the name of that band, and they're quite proud to have just put that song on iTunes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, apparently, Andrew had used that exact song in one of the last films he made before he passed away, and I didn't know that. So uh, I think that, that that really cemented the connection and, uh, and really drove that home for them. What's the name of the song again, Aaron? I'm going to look it up. Jack knives and matches. Okay. The Thanks, song man. itself is, is, is fascinating because uh, the guy that you hear singing in it, who wrote it, John Pierce, he, uh, and he'll probably get mad at me because I might get the story a bit wrong here, but he's a historian. And essentially the song is about a pair of brothers or close friends, uh, which is very applicable to our situation. But they, it was in the First World War, they'd gone off together and one of them had been killed. And I guess the one gentleman was in his 80s and he'd returned sort of to his childhood home, you know, still in mourning of the loss of his friend. And was wandering around in the woods, uh, as I guess people are apt to do. And he noticed that there was a tree with a loop in it. And he remembered... Uh, sort of reflected back on his youth, you know, as a kid running around with his friend and they tied a tree, just a little sapling. And in the, in the line, you'll hear, we know a sapling and a big or bloody great bow or something. And he, he tied that sapling in a loop and here it was, you know, a couple of generations later and there was a tall string in the grove with a loop in it uh, as sort of a living memorial of their, their childhood. And it's a, it's a very 
And it's I think awesome. it's a, a really beautiful song. And what is the name of the group that sings it? The North Algona All-Stars. I might also be looking up the song on iTunes right now, and I have <laughs> no idea how you spell Algona. A-L-G-O-N-A. Oh, I found it. It came right up. Damn right. <laughs> Perfect. That's awesome. Do you have any words of advice or wisdom for guys who kind of want to follow a similar path? From a filmmaking or hunting standpoint? Let's do one and the other. From a filmmaking standpoint, I would say that I think that people get caught up in, and I do this too, but what is cool or what is trending or what they think the story should be. And um, I'm very proud of having, you know, one that was a great story, but thinking of truly what is at the essence of this, what makes it unique, you know, you can't sell a story or make a film based on, you know, the hopeful size of antlers or, you know, you can't let the result of a, of an experience dictate the story. It's the experience in itself. And really just thinking about it, the very core of it, if you had to describe it in five words, what would it be? Um, I think that's a huge piece of advice from a sort of a high level storytelling standpoint. It's just really think of it, the very essence of the story. What, what do you want to tell? What do you want to make people feel? Pick a feeling that you feel. Pick a feeling you want to share. Figure out how to create it. And from an execution standpoint, build a great team and trust the team. At Rockhouse, we're incredibly lucky to have a group of people that are all very motivated. They're all very talented. And instead of being super controlling or you know, really trying to direct people too much. The key comes in finding people that are excellent and motivated and giving them and creating a situation where they can flourish in a situation where they can do their very best work and celebrating it along the way. Have fun and, and let people do their best. And and that's kind of the rock house story. That's that's kind of allowed us to create content at the level we do. Well, on that note, this has been the Natural Born Hunter podcast. Please head on over, check out our sponsors as well at GetMountainOps.com. If you want 20% off your Mountain Ops purchase, just go ahead and put in the coupon code NBH20 at checkout, and boom, 20% off your order. Also, if you would like to get some free swag when you order your Maven binoculars, just enter the coupon code NBHGIFT at checkout, and you'll get yourself a free gift. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. The film was incredible. Like I said, hopefully people did not listen to this podcast without checking out the film first because it's amazing, and I would hate to ruin it for anybody. Santino, as always, my friend, it is a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. Guys, Thanks for having me. thank you. Is there is there anything you would like to leave the audience? Take the time to understand what matters in your life and figure out how to make it happen and figure out the people that matter and figure out a way to bring them. And uh, 
I'm very, I'm very fortunate in the life I've been able to lead, but at the end of the day, understand what matters and figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah. I can say, I think we're all kind of somewhat cut from the same cloth. So, you know, tomorrow's never promised, you know, run after your dreams and no regrets. Hey, with that note, this has been the natural born hunter podcast. Wake up, chase your dreams, repeat.